Where did sin come from? Now, if God created everything, then did he create sin too? Well, that's our topic today on Wisdom 828, where we're dedicated to stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. Hi, I'm Bob Buchanan. Who are you who are so wise? What does the Bible tell us about the origin of sin? Well, there seems to be something of a curtain that's drawn over this question in Scripture. Sin's origins is very puzzling. Some of the church's greatest minds have struggled with that answer. And quite frankly, settling on a definitive answer to its origin is, mu is more than difficult. However, um, a look at the biblical data uh, does give us some helpful information. Now, the top question on most people's minds is, did God create sin? Even the writers of the Bible in their day had to wrestle with that question. And so famously, James answered this way, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. The apostle John confirms that sin is the opposite of God's nature. John said this, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. John uses the metaphor of darkness to describe everything that's contrary to God. And when God finished creating everything, in his estimation, it was very good. Now, the first appearance of sin in the pages of the Bible is in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent in the garden to disobey God. The word sin doesn't even show up in the story, but from the context of those events, we understand that disobedience to God's commands brought about the fall of humanity into the condition of sin. And everyone born since then is conditionally and volitionally, that is by their own choice, sinful. Further, God separated himself uh, from Adam and Eve by driving them out of the garden and not letting them return into God's presence. And here we see the most devastating effect of, effect of sin, separation from God. Uh, there are other effects of sin that we see in the passage, fear, hiding from God, blame shifting, Adam blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, the serpent, and then the consequences of sin, the heartache and the frustrations and the isolation that came to Adam and Eve in a fallen and broken world. So we can conclude that sin slipped into the garden in the form of a temptation to disobey God. And so when we know uh, this much, uh, so we know this much about its origins, as Paul says, when Adam sinned, sin entered the entire human race. Now that hasn't stopped many commentators from thinking about sin and where its origins were. Uh, one even said, uh, quote, it came from the footstool of God's throne. Now here's what he meant by that. Both Ezekiel and Isaiah make reference to the origins of sin in Satan when sin was, quote, found in him. Isaiah writes, um, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly of the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Now, this prophecy in its context is a taunt by Isaiah to the nation of Babylon. The early church fathers applied this passage to Satan's fall, 
but the reformers were unanimous in arguing that the context here does not support that interpretation. That passage discusses human pride, not angelic pride. Well, now we turn to Ezekiel. It was in his prophecy, which is directed at the king of Tyre, a real person ruling in a real place, but he says this about the king. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So what is it that leads some commentators to see the passage as referring to Satan? Well, Ezekiel goes on to say this. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you, this is God speaking, I placed you and you were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in all your ways from the day that you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. So again, the passage isn't directly saying something about Satan, but it's easy to, uh, to see why, why some think that the king of Tyre is a symbolic stand-in for Satan himself. Well, since we cannot say anything conclusively about these two patches, passages, we do have to be careful. What we can say conclusively is that two inspired New Testament writers mentioned that at some time in eternity past, a rebellion took place in heaven. Peter wrote of it. He said this, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And Jude, the brother of Jesus wrote, the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Now, while we can't say something dis uh, definitive about sin's origin, we can't really understand the world's condition without the presence of sin in it. Now, here's what I mean. How can we explain what goes on in the world without the presence of sin? Sin makes perfect sense in understanding our crazy, mixed-up, fallen, broken world. I recently had a Facebook post with a friend who asked the question of why people needed to be so mean and are condemning and judging people on social media platforms all over the place. Many people responded to my friend by arguing that it was a shame that, and that uh, something as useful as Facebook or any of the other media uh, for staying in touch with family and friends in distant places could be used for such disappointing means. But I just couldn't help myself by answering the why question that started it all. Why? I wrote one word, sin. The doctrine of the fall of humanity and the history of the world would be incomprehensible without understanding, <clears throat> pardon me, without understanding the role of sin in this world. But we can't ever forget that sin is essentially irrational. Rebelling against a good creator, it makes no moral sense whatsoever. And when it comes to sin in the church, an old friend of mine one time said, be disappointed by it, but never be surprised. Richard Phillips, who writes for the Gospel Coalition, said this about sin in this question. The irrationality of sin afflicts not merely the originating sins of the ancient history, but also every sin that we commit today. When the Christian bitterly asks, why did I sin? There are descriptions because of temptation, because of remaining indwelling sin and so on, but there are no true explanations for the origin of any sin. But there is one big truth that we have to cling to in our sin-saturated world. Sin is not a freelance agent doing its own thing. Sin is on God's leash because Satan is on God's leash. In God's hand, 
Sin becomes a tool that can be used to bring about good goals. We have two outstanding stories of God's use of sinful actions in human agents for the good of many others. The first is Joseph, the son of Jacob, whose brother sold him into Egyptian slavery in the book of Genesis. The story ends with Joseph forgiving his brothers and saving his large family of 70 people from a life-threatening famine. When he revealed himself to his brothers, he said to them that their treachery was meant for evil, but God intended it for good. Joseph never denied the evil that had been done to him, but he saw in it God's means of a greater benefit to his family. Now the second example, and the greatest of all in scripture, that have immediate meaning for every Christian, is that the arrest, the beating, and the crucifixion of Jesus. It is the first Christian sermon ever preached by Peter that pointed this out. Peter said, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with many mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God used lawless men to kill Jesus, but the cross was God's plan for salvation. God ordained that the death of Christ at the hands of sinful men, in effect, is using their sinful actions to become the means of their salvation too, especially knowing that if you humbly trust yourself in Christ, uh, to Christ, you will be saved. Now, if you hate sin, as every Christian should hate sin, you should cherish God's mercy even more. Paul says in Romans 11, God has imprisoned all people in their own disobedience so that he could have mercy on all. And that means that sin is like a dungeon cell in which we had no possibility of escape apart from the blessing of God's mercy. He set us free from our prison cell and a freedom, gave us a freedom we didn't deserve. We may not understand much about sin's origin, but we know that we were once captives to it and by God's mercy in Christ, we are free from it. And the minute that that happened, we are assured of two things. We are no longer under the penalty of sin and we are no longer beholden to its power over us. And someday we will no longer live in its presence. Well, that's all for today. Thanks for watching. And thanks to Steve Dyan behind the camera and in the editing room helping to uh, fulfill Wisdom 828's purpose of stamping out spiritual malnutrition one episode at a time. You'll be of good cheer.